Hey everyone, this is Dave Korsunsky from Data Driven Health Radio. On this show, we look at how individuals are empowering themselves and using data to transform the way they manage their health. We interview the health experts and the scientists that will help you understand and interpret the data. We speak with the entrepreneurs who are building the tools and the technology that are allowing us to quantify our health in novel and powerful ways. And most importantly, we speak to the individuals who are beating the odds on everything from cancer to diabetes to weight loss and general health and wellness. This show is brought to you by Aura. They make a state-of-the-art ring that can track sleep cycle analysis, activity, and recovery. You can learn more about this product at headsuphealth.com Aura. That's O-U-R-A. This show is also brought to you by our good friends over at Keto Mojo. They are making a highly accurate and highly affordable device for testing blood sugar and blood ketones. Check it out at headsuphealth.com slash ketomojo. And lastly, the show is brought to you by Level. They are making a clinical-grade breath ketone analyzer, which measures your level of fat burning and ketosis through a simple breath. You can learn more at headsuphealth.com slash level. That's L-E-V-L. All of these amazing products are integrated with Heads Up Health. They all allow you to quantify your health in novel and powerful ways. So check them out. Thank you to your, thank you to our sponsors. Welcome to our show, and let's get into it. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Hey, all this is Dave with Data Driven Health Radio, and I'm back here today with someone who can only be classified as one of my favorite human beings on the planet and an absolute superstar in every respect of the word. So today I am with Dr. Nasha Winters, and man, Nasha, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Really, truly an honor. Thank you. Well, we, it, was, it was love at first sight, as you know. We just connected over a conference table. I think we started uh, hugging within like 30 seconds of meeting at, totally. at Low Carb San Diego. So for those who are familiar with the Low Carb mm-hmm. events, they have one in San Diego. Actually, it's coming up next month, July. And that's where Nisha and I first met. Man, who is this anniversary. Yeah, my sister was there from Canada, who's a naturopathic doctor, which you are as well, a licensed naturopathic doctor. So I want to learn more about that. But you connected with my sister immediately. My dad was there. So you got to meet the whole fam. And then you got to see what we're building at Heads Up Health. And like now we've just been finding ways to like take what we're doing and help make your life easier as as the clinician that's working with people who are going through cancer treatment. So from then on, it's just been like amazing getting to know you. We hung out for the second time last month in Orlando where you crushed it with your presentation. And I were, that's where I'd like to spend most of our time today okay. actually, is like what you presented on like everything you've seen. Cause 
there's a million armchair experts out there on how to do keto, and 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 you are working with people day in and day out, and looking at labs and testing and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. So I think we can just cut through a lot of BS for people and, and help people from Europe perspective what you see working like when you spoke about different genetic mutations that may affect how you do keto these are things these are like pearls that you uncover through the through the work that that i think need to be surfaced so there's just a ton of shit we're going to talk about here today i don't even know what it's about. <laughs> we've already started in pre, pre-taping of, of the yeah. talking of shit so it's all good <laughs> now i want to clarify why i'm wearing this baseball cap as well because every time i have a web conference with nasha she always has to one-up me on like the, <laughs> on, on her style and i'm like this is not cool she, i'm like i'm i'm taking it up a notch so i got my like hipster flat brim on just to like try to hang with nasha who always looks dazzling <laughs> Even in your home office, you look stylish, you know. And my and my sweet little dogs are sleeping behind us. This is this uh, is so happens. So so yeah. <laughs> my cat will probably put her chocolate starfish in your screen at some point today. That's her other favorite uh, thing. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Sorry. So, Nisha, tell us about. I know you're a cancer survivor. Thriver. So yes, and thriver, and so. For those who don't know about you, I'd love to just set the context a little bit about your personal story and then also specifically your uh, work with patients and then getting into the the Terrain 10 methodology just to level set and then we can pick it up from there. Awesome. Well, my gosh, I I kind of came into this world really a day late, a dollar short health wise. I had a lot of health issues as a little one, lots and lots of health issues actually, but it it was so normal that no one thought anything of it. It was just like, that's just the way it is. And sadly, a lot of people live their lives that way, young and old, who are just like, no, it's not a big deal, but I take 16 different pharmaceuticals and then I feel like utter crap every day. And it's my new, it's my normal to feel broken all the time, right? If you don't know anything different than like, right, yeah, right. And you, you know, you and I, that's part of where we connected as well is your own saying, I don't, this pit is not fun to hang out in anymore. Yeah. So, because I didn't know anything different, I didn't know anything different. So when a, a terminal diagnosis landed in my lap at the junction of my 19th into my 20th birthday, though I had been in and out of an ER pretty much weekly for the year prior to that, begging for someone to help because of my crazy set of symptoms and pain and constant illness. And they just sent me home with one concoction after another, you know, an antibiotic here, an antifungal there, a pain medication here, an anti, you know, depressant there, an anti-anxiolytic, you know, an anxiety drug there. And it just layer caked and no one would actually listen or take a deeper look. And I got lucky, if you will, to have the visiting ER doc that just happened to be kind of work covering for someone who was on a, like a three month sabbatical happened to be in the ER the day I showed up again. And at this time he actually was like, well, geez, you've been in here over and over. They've kind of done every test. Let's, let's do these tests. So he ran a bunch of different labs, ran a bunch of different, ran an ultrasound, a pelvic ultrasound that nobody had done and immediately sent me down for at that time an MRI. They didn't have a CT scan where I was. And I can so remember this man coming in and crying to me because his daughter was my age. As he said, you've got cancer. And he's like, we, you know, we need a biopsy to confirm, but everything is pointing in this direction. The main thing that was pointing in that direction is I looked nine months pregnant with ascites, which is a buildup of fluid in the abdominal cavity that shouldn't be there. And it's usually only there if you are 
advanced cancer. And at that point I was also an end stage organ failure. I was a lot of fun to be around. And so it's like, it took a year for someone to actually listen, you know, as I'm like sliding down the wall, like yes, holding on for dear life. <laughs> and then by the time they figured out, they're like, Oh God, you're so sick. We can't do anything about it. So awesome. Great. And, and before we started this taping, you and I were talking about the sort of literal and figurative burning of the, you know, coming, the phoenix rising from the flames. Yep. Um, I'm sitting here talking to you while I sound like I've been smoking cigarettes um, in a major wildfire happening. Just right outside your home. Up. Yes. Exactly. Perfect. So, um, but it was that type of moment that I had nothing to lose. The offerings they had for me were basically hospice because I was too sick to, do, to get any treatment. And they said, even if I could take treatment, I was looking at a few months to maybe a year if I was lucky, but you know, that everyone was, had already given up before they got started and almost myself included. And as, as I've said on some podcasts where people have listened and Dave, you and I've had some intimate conversations about this as well. I didn't want to be here at that time in my life. And it gave me an opportunity to really choose. Coming on 27 years in October of this journey, I get up and choose life in the most vibrant way every single day. <laughs> you know? I, do, I do too. I mean, I think, and, and I've gone through a lot of my own, my own journey as well. That, that helps you get to that point. But yeah, yeah. it's amazing and it's beautiful when you can say that and, and live yeah. it too. Absolutely. And so then I think the side up that segued into me having that experience, frankly, I spent the first decade or more of that after that experience, pretty much hiding from the world that I was having that experience. Mm -hmm. Because um, when you are that age, and you are given a terminal diagnosis, no one knows how to be with you. No one knows what to say to you to do with you. You become, I mean, it would be easier to die in some situations in those moments. That's how it was, especially this is in 1991. Okay. We didn't have online support groups. We didn't have Dr. Google. No one understood the concept of integrative oncology. You know, it was a very, it was, there, it just didn't exist. And so I really chose to just live my life, but keep learning and doing whatever I could along the way I had to take some time off school, obviously, and some time off work kind of, I had to rearrange some major things in my life so I could survive. Understandably so. Let me just worry about surviving first. A little bit of a priority. Yeah. 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 Minor priority. But I honestly had no expectation. That was also probably what helped. I didn't expect to survive. I didn't expect that anything I would do was going to fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think Today, in some ways, our access to all this information can get us in trouble because everyone's like, well, I, if sh this person did it this way, then I'll just follow their path and that will be my answer. That will be my prayer. That will be my It worked thing. over here. So, I mean, obviously there's, there's best practices you can glean right. from other things. Right. But right. you can't expect that that path is, you and I see this everything, every single day, every single case is unique. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and even, you know, this isn't, this is about whether you choose a naturopathic approach, an integrative approach, or a conventional approach, you're not guaranteed a success for chronic illness and cancer in any of those arenas by themselves. A big part of your success has nothing to do with your doctor, you know, your healthcare team, your healthcare choices, mm -hmm. honestly. In fact, probably I would guess probably most of it doesn't. So that is what has led to me kind of figuring out 27 years worth of collecting data points within myself and others mm -hmm. of particular patterns that seem to be in alignment with creating health or creating disease. 
Okay. Even people like Kelly, Dr. Kelly Turner, who wrote the book Radical Remission, she was on a 10-year mission as a PhD social worker researcher to find out and follow the paths of people considered in spontaneous remission to see what they were doing differently than the people who didn't have amazing recoveries. Yep. And she found these nine factors that her book, that is what her book is, yep. these nine factors of this, what she calls instead of spontaneous remission, she calls it a radical remission because spontaneous and you did nothing. Mm-hmm. You sat there like a bump on a log and someone waved a magic wand over your head. Yep. Right. But a radical remission is you grab the bull bottle horns and you go for a buck and bronco ride. Kick, kick the bull right in the ass. <laughs> right in the nuts. Sometimes yeah. it kicks you in the ass, which is yeah. part of the journey yeah. as well. But you just keep crawling, scrambling back up. But yes. her nine points, what I think is so fascinating is everyone's looking for the thing the pill, the treatment, the technique, the doctor, the whatever. And what I love about hers is there's only two things of those nine that are tangible, okay? And that would be sort of like nutraceutical supplements, herbs, like Mm -hmm. so things you could take. And the other category that's tangible is diet, okay? The other seven are all on this kind of crazy psycho-spiritual realm. And so to me, when I even read her book and and later uh, met her and she ended up writing the forward to my book and we've since become friends and she let me co-facilitate one of her radical remission retreats at Omega a couple years back, I really resonated with who she is and what she's collected in her data points because I feel like that was my radical remission and continues to be. Wow. So that aligns a lot with what I learned at Best Answer, which yeah. was a couple of weeks ago. And for those who don't know, there's a conference called Best Answer for Cancer. And Nisha and I were there and I read the book from Annie. And it's interesting that her approach is, I read this book on the, and she was terminal diagnosis cancer as well. And I read her book and what, what struck me, and I even called this out to you right, right from the conference, I'm like, all of these people, the, the top things that they're telling you to do have nothing to do with anything tangible, a, a drug or an activity or a doctor. It's mind-body healing and it's psycho-spiritual work and it's, in some cases, resolving trauma from the past. In, in whatever form that is. And so that seems to be from yourself and others, that's, that's the foundation, it seems like, for a lot of the, the healing that happens. It is. And it's funny, um, we purposefully left the kind of mind-body section of my book at the last, uh, as the last chapter, mm-hmm. simply because we know that it's often the hardest folks. And it's often the part that everyone's like, yeah, 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 I'll get to, you know, just tell me what to take, tell me what to do, tell me who to see. And, yeah. and my God. Buy. Yeah. <laughs> And those things are important, but I think of those techniques or those treatments as more of like the scalpel that comes in, but you still have to take care of the whole container or, you know, you you can kind of keep plucking a few weeds out of the garden, but you still have to till the soil and you still have to amend the soil and you still have to nourish the soil and you want to still plant other things besides just continue to pluck out those little individual weeds. And so that is kind of what was born of my own experience of working on myself and continuing to do so today seeing the validating scientific work of Kelly Turner, even hearing Annie's amazing story, who's now been running this conference for multiple, I mean, several decades at this point, and bringing together like-minded people who've had similar experiences, um, both practitioners as well as patients. And then from that kind of birthed this methodology that you alluded to um, at the beginning of our discussion of um, this Terrain 10 approach. And so 
you know, that's where, because like we were saying, you still want to kind of have some starting point. A framework. You, you need some framework as you go through this. Totally. Because it is so overwhelming. And I, I actually... Terrifying and overwhelming. Totally. And you know, it, it's interesting. I've thought about this a lot as I'm watching what is available to people today. Online, you know, talking to each other. In some ways, I was luckier to not have anybody or anything but myself to depend on. Yep. Because now what is overwhelming to the people that I see is the abundance of choices, the immense amount of information, the yeah buts all over. In fact, today I got a not so friendly email from someone who's like, I love your book. I love your book. I love your book. But why aren't you giving kudos to this person? Or why do you say this? I need you to explain this to me. And basically I'm like, well, if you actually read my book, you wouldn't be asking me this question. And they're so wanting me to validate their choice of treatment and so my response was, I'm really happy that's working for you. Mm -hmm. That's the whole, you actually got the point of my book. Yeah. If you realize I don't, um, you know, talk about a, a protocol or a, you know, completely hoorah-rah on a particular mind, you know, like a, approach, I suppose. So, but that's pretty interesting that that part can create more distress for people and having multiple options as well yeah. as multiple experiences. But I can only speak to what I've experienced over 20 years and the tens of thousands of people I have witnessed and the hundreds of thousands of labs I have looked over and learned from, which has led me to the things I know today. Because two years from now, I'll know something different or something more. 10 years, something more. Like I am not the same practitioner today as I was 27 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, hell, two years ago, probably six months ago. Well, and it's always evolving and improving. Your, your information is improving and your methodologies are constantly improving as well and changing. And our scientific understanding of different things changes. A year ago, we're like, what? Gif different genetic mutation on, on how I do this or that? Like nobody had that in their, in their repertoire at that time. So if I'm understanding it right, then Terrain 10 is an adaptable framework. And this is going to depend on each individual once you learn about them, their history. Potentially, I think, why did your mitochondria fail? That's kind of like the first question that determines what direction I'm going to take with you. And it's different yeah. every single time. This is why I love you is because you get <laughs> right there. That's why we have that moment is it's like, and you just like took 27 years of information, synthesized it into three sentences. So <laughs> hence why you are so good for me and my future business as well, because you're helping do just that. You're helping me distill down the absolute essence of concepts because just you saying that probably made a bunch of light bulbs go off for a lot of people. I could speak for hours or days and they'll be like, and you say three sentences and they're like, Oh my God, yes, of course I get it. So you're right. It is a very adaptable framework and it's based on the individual and not a protocol. Yeah. So yeah. this is just uh, something that's been in my mind lately. And you think about cancer and you think about things that are carcinogenic that can cause cancer. They're everywhere. We live in a soup of them. But how can an emotional experience or unresolved trauma be carcinogenic? It Maybe not. that's not even the right word to use. But again, just going back to Annie's book, she's like, if you've got baggage that you haven't dealt with, emotional 
It's like that, that can cause anxiety and stress that's unresolved. It's below our level of consciousness, or maybe not. Maybe we're a basket case, and it's like, I know, <laughs> I know exactly why I'm a basket case. I just haven't gone to the root of that yet. But how, how does that make people sick, specifically cancer, which is so much different than someone saying, well, I know if I smoke, that's obvious. It's mm -hmm. those toxins, the cell malfunctions, it goes berserk. I get that, okay? But you're telling me that two years ago when I lost a loved one and I didn't deal with it properly or whatever, you're telling me that's going to get me sick? I don't, how do you explain yeah. that? Well, first of all, weirdly, at the time of my diagnosis, where like everyone's gonna be like this woman's older than dirt um basically i was in <laughs> once they see the youtube video it'll be like no she looks beautiful <laughs> oh, so, so you don't have to worry about that <laughs> oh shibubu yeah. <laughs> so, um but basically at that time um there i was a double major i was biology chemistry Mm -hmm. At the time of my diagnosis, I was finishing up my freshman year. I was moving into my sophomore year of college. So everything was starting to pick up the momentum as far as all my sciences. So when I got sick, I had to slow her down a bit. Now, for, slowing down for me is still like everybody else is still, you know, like got a jet, like a rocket tank on the back of them. My friends always say that my husband, I'm like a 747 that he skateboards behind. And so now he's getting his own 747. Though, so it's really good. So we're tandem. Actually, I saw him present. Really? Right? Uh, he can definitely yeah. hang. Okay. He can yeah. rock it. So he'll be yeah. your next guest. Yeah. Um, but what happened is I had to pull back from one. So I decided to keep my biology, but I, I was going through my own stuff. So I still, I, I changed my major to biology psychology. And at that time, I started learning about the work of a woman named Candace Pert, PhD. And I started learning about the work of Bruce Lipton, a PhD microbiologist, and their work around what they call, they were coining at that time in 91, psychoneuroimmunology. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, right? That, yeah. I'm so intrigued by where you're going to go with this. Oh my God. Hear the story. And this is so crazy because here is I'm landed with like, you're dead, you're out of here. And like overwhelmed and buried in the just sciences of just, you know, go through this process that suddenly it opens me up to bringing in kind of its little mirror image of support through the psychology. And basically I was able to self-construct a psychoneuroimmunology undergraduate degree. And I was, I had professors that were supportive on both wow. campus for me to do just that. Incredible. And, Right. And so I was just gobbling up this information because they, Candace Pert in particular, who's no longer with us, but she in particular was talking about the physiologic changes of trauma, of what happens at the biochemical level, what happens at the physiologic level, what happens at the structural level, what happens at the neurochemical level. And I mean, if you want to get super, and this is in 91, we know so much more today than what she was posting, posturing back then. Okay. Postulating back then. So basically like we know basic things, you, you get in a fight with a loved one, your, in, your IgA, which is one of your main immune kind of responders gets suppressed for an average of seven hours from one stressful incident. Yeah. So if you're living, if you're in a job that you hate or you're in a dead end marriage or you have a best friend that drives you batshit crazy or you, whatever, and you're exposed to that, like maybe if you get your dose every seven hours, you are basically suppressing your immune function. That's one of the most obvious levels. But we also started learning about some interesting things that we were actually changing neural pathways 
from traumas. So we would kind of get ourselves like certain traumas, certain events would sort of like create these crazy grooves in our chemistry that basically just made your neurochemical rut dig deeper and deeper so that you could no longer easily and readily see out of that rut of what your other options were. So basically traumas start to lock people into kind of their own internal prison to even not be able to see optimism, see hope, see possibility. Which ultimately is driving these physiological changes, gene expression, immune suppression, and then that's that's basically the spark. Is that right? Eventually. It becomes a spark. And yet, like you said, there can be like sparks from actual chemical sparks. That can be one. There could be immune sparks like from a virus. That could be another. But if you also have a platform of an emotional groove that has been dug or some type of trauma that has imprinted and weakened your immune response or changed, excuse me, the way everyone know that I'm not, I really am exposed to major smoke right now for the fire. Take your time. But that's it's, it's, it's a Starbucks nitro cold brew with heavy cream. Have you tried if they, if they just had it organic cream and organic coffee, I'd be good. <laughs> All right. I, dig- I digress. Yeah. There you go. We're back on. But yeah. no, these, these crazy grooves and these crazy chemical changes and these crazy epigenetic switches that were flipping on and off became the life work of people like Candace Pert and Bruce Lipton, which later, if you haven't heard of Bruce Lipton, has an amazing book called The Biology of Belief. And it's literally about how our thoughts change our epigenetic expression. And so to remind your readers, a lot of people think, oh, cancer, certain things are genes, and I don't have any choice. My parents had this, my grandparents had this. Genes are about three to five, maybe in some schools of thought, 10% of the equation. Epigenes, epigenome is the kind of the umbrella of, it means literally above the gene. And it also means that you have control over how it expresses. And they're trying to spend billions of dollars finding a drug that changes the expressions, but nothing works as well as diet or lifestyle modification. All right. Go do some meditation. Change. Get off. Get off a crappy diet. Right. Um, get get out of crappy relationships, crappy yeah. situations in your life. Yeah. Things like you know, one of the coolest things we started learning about neuro- epi- psychoneuroimmunology was recreating of BDNF, the brain-derived yeah. neurofactor. You know, like you are literally making new neural pathways when you intermittent fast, when you um, go for an amazing hike in nature, when you meditate, when you microdose, when you, I mean, there's multiple things that happens uh, that you can change those. And those are the antithesis of here, take this pill, here, take this pill, here, take this pill. Yep. And that's, uh, I think, a huge component of integrative approaches as well that look at the psycho-spiritual side of things. That is, is just completely outside the purview of conventional treatment. So that's, I think, just a huge component that I hope everybody listening yeah. understands. And it's not just cancer, it's autoimmune. Yeah. I got, I've got a lot of that around my, my loved ones. Same kinds of things. It's in many cases tied back to what you were just talking about. And and, and there are lots of ways now that people can start to make those changes, both from a treatment point of view and also from a preventative point of view as well. And just, yeah, yeah. And you, you, one of the things I love that you brought up that it is definitely this goes above and beyond cancer. One of the simple things I have all my clients do now is do what's called the ACE survey, the ACE score. Mm -hmm. And that stands for Adverse Childhood Events. 
Mm-hmm. And so this started coming into, I'm guessing it was like the early, maybe late 80s, early 90s when I first heard about this score. But I had never, in all my background, I had never taken this quiz for myself until just a couple years ago. I don't know if I want to take it. You did Well, it's just 10 questions. All right, I'll 10 take questions. it. It sounds like a totally like, no problem. And it was so weird because it's 10 questions about experiences you may have had before the age of 18. So important for people. Like, mm-hmm. uh, even if you don't think you have them, you probably go back and you're like, oh, crap. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I never I thought of it that way. You're I right. To deal with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so, you know, this is maybe a little TMI for most folks, but um, when I took that quiz just a couple of years ago, it was more like, but of course, because um, basically if you have two or more yeses mm-hmm. on this 10 questionnaire, your likelihood of having cancer or a chronic illness in your young adulthood goes up like 20% each yes you go up. All correlated back to what you talked about, which is the psychoneuroimmunological effects of these events that are uncovered. And it's amazing because we got this whole camp of scientists, you know, over here, like looking at the, the biochemical, you know, the, but the crazy thing is this, it's all science. It's all on the molecular level, the chemical level, the, bio, you know, the biochemical level, the physiologic level. And yet we are keeping our institutions sort of separated out still of mind body. Like you go down the hall to the mind body department. Mm-hmm. You should all be sitting at the round table together. You should all be in the same place where you're having your chemo that you have a therapist in there, you know, working stuff through. But when I finally did that quiz, it should not have come as a surprise to me, just given my first bout with, you know, like my whole yeah. process in this. I had 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. And so now when I look, my clients are just like, oh my God, I have six out of 10. I have nine out of 10. I have seven. Out. And again, like you said, I thought it was interesting. A lot of them didn't even realize that those were traumas. Well, we bury those and we forget about them. And not there. Yeah, that was 20 years ago, and, but, but it, it is still at some subconscious level there. And yeah. there's different ways to get to the root of that. Yeah. There, there's conventional approaches for sure. I'm a huge supporter that I believe the therapeutic use of psychedelics is probably the fastest and most effective way to just go in and rip the weed out right at the roots. I know that there's work being done by organizations like MAP, and there are now uh, certification programs. There's one near my place in San Francisco. So yeah, that's just an incredibly fascinating area of health and, and disease and how people can start to get ahead of that, hopefully, if they're listening. So yeah, just a really, really fascinating approach to this. Your timing of bringing this up, you've probably heard the latest interviews or seen the book or maybe even read the book by now because I've already inhaled it by Michael Pollan. Everyone knew Michael Pollan as being like the, you know, the omnivore. I haven't read it yet, but I know it's out there. Yeah. Thank you for writing that and bringing a general acceptance and awareness. This has to happen. Seriously, and here's a guy who was like a food writer and a food political writer and a farmer. And, but he got, you know, he, he sees these ancient medicines as our food. They are. They're part of our, you know, our whole system. And he was always kind of intrigued by it. But the last few years he started studying it and started realizing there are, right now there are eight clinical trials happening in the United States alone on the use of psychedelics for PTSD, for cancer, for terrible de- depression, for a lot of psychological issues. We have a crisis on our hands. Absolutely the- we do, and we're trying to medicate the crisis, and it's like there's a thousand times better way to deal with this issue. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I even had a patient who was in the Harvard study. This was amazing. This woman had ovarian cancer. She wanted to die, but she had a young one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she had tried years of every pharmaceutical known to humankind for her depression. She had done 
every kind of treatment she'd been to. She was even in psychiatric units. I mean, she had shock therapy. That's how broken this woman's brain. Two treatments at Harvard with psilocybin. Not only did her depression go away and never return, but her cancer went into a stage four ovarian cancer went into remission. Well, and her daughter graduated high school this year. So yeah. I mean, just getting getting to the root, you know what I mean? And yeah. and I've had my own experiences in, in the use of these technologies yeah. and I've seen the healing that happens immediately within yeah. one night. So well, they're creating now. new pathways, they're creating new what they're saying. It's like you can now crawl up out of that groove yeah. and sort of see your options around you and realize you are not because suicide. It, you know, the, or attempted suicide is when you feel you have no other option. It is the most darkest, darkest place you can be. And so to help pop people up just enough to catch even a glimpse can be all it takes to be the life raft for somebody to say, okay, today I'll go another day. I'll, I'll go one more day. I'll go one more day. I mean, that's ultimate. And then suddenly you're like, hmm, I'll go five more days. How about a month? I'll make it to Christmas. And suddenly they're on your, you know, sitting on your blog, you know, podcast. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And now are changing the world. Yeah. So, I mean, that is beautiful. And we've talked a lot about how to approach this from the spiritual, psycho-spiritual, emotional aspect of things. Obviously critical and core and not in, in the current consciousness of how we traditionally approach disease, unless you're working with someone like yourself or, or other integrative professionals. Now, in terms of the more quantifiable things that you help people with, <laughs> I know that you're always looking at labs, mm-hmm. different types of patients mm-hmm. coming in in different conditions. So I'd, I'd love, this is data-driven health radio after all, so mm-hmm. we should talk about some numbers. I'd, when you're looking at the quantifiable things, I know that you use ketogenic therapy very effectively. So I'd, I'd just, I mean, you did a whole presentation on that, so we won't go into it but here, but just some of the top recommendations or best practices that you would recommend for keto. I also know that your husband is a subject matter expert in the use of CBD oils effectively. His presentation was incredible. So there's a, a quantifiable aspect there. So maybe just like starting with basic labs. I'm sitting at home. I know I've got my blood work in Heads Up Health, hopefully, but if not, you probably have it on a piece of paper or a PDF file somewhere. That's where we come in. When you're looking at new labs, like, you know, I'm working with Grace and, um, you know, my white blood cell, can- yeah. And she barfs all over my labs every time I go to get new, new blood work done. Because, <laughs> like, I look at my white blood cell count, right? For me personally, and I look back, I have my blood work going back to 2005 because I've put it all in there. And like 2005, I'm 23, I got these beautiful numbers, right? And it's like, okay, every couple years, there's certain numbers that are coming down a little bit. And like, so what are some of the easy low-hanging fruit you would tell people to look at? Such a good question. First of all, I am so data-driven. That's why we also hit because there are, again, with the massive amounts of information that's out there right now, we need to have a way to say, is this working? Is this not working? Why did you choose this therapy? Why did you, conventional or otherwise, right? Like to me, we are in a time where we no longer have to guess with any step we take in our process of healing ourselves. We don't have to guess. We get to know exactly. So it's not just like hitting Dr. Google and seeing what's out there. You can know specifically for yourself. Is so this is working for me personally. And Are in my this numbers moment, getting better or worse. Yeah. Right. And that's just it is it's not a 
you know, for instance, I saw somebody's labs today or um, somebody's supplement plan today. She's been on this plan since 2014. I'm like, okay, if you were working with somebody like me, I'm looking at your labs at the very least every three months, if not every six, you know, six months to the furthest when you're in a relatively stable place, monthly when you're in trouble with whatever's going on with you. Absolutely. Every three months, kind of quarterly until everything settles right down. Yeah. And so I'm also then adjusting our approach every three months or monthly or every six months, whatever it is. Right. So I was like, that's problem. Number one, the problem number two is everyone's like, Oh, I'm, I'm eating this diet or I'm doing this thing because somebody said this is right for me. I'm like, well, let's take a look and see what's right for you. So I start with the basic labs I request of anybody that I consult with are simple. These five tests, super, super simple. And this is if you just want the basics, which is a complete metabolic panel, which is a chem 14, preferably if you can get your hands on a chem 20, because that incorporates more things, but most people can't get their hands on that. So that's why I just tell people, a chem 14. Yep. That is for, that's looking at your liver enzymes, your kidney function, your electrolytes, the basic, right? The other test I look at is a CBC. So complete blood count with differential. With differential is key. I'm crazy of how many patients, doctors will just run the basic count. The differential is I want to look at the actual percentages of your neutrophils, your lymphocytes, your monocytes, your basophils, and your eosinophils, because those ratios and those percentages are gold to me. Gold information. There's so much information hidden in that information. Basically, I tell people, if I don't have that when I do your CBC, I have nothing. A white blood cell and a red blood cell, eh, great. I can kind of make a few. So those neutrophils and and, and other tests on there, they can be expressed as a percentage, but also expressed in in the standard units of measure. And so you you want both. Is that right? I want both, but I like to look at the percentages because it's easiest to translate out to people and easier for my brain to see the pattern that's coming together. So So, just when when I had Grace on, she gave some reference ranges she likes to look for. Maybe what we could do in the show notes is put your functional ranges for people. Because I love it. You do that because everyone's like, but my doctor said they're fine. I've, like I said, I'm not exaggerating when I say I've probably looked at 500,000 labs in my 25 plus year career in medicine. And I've never seen one that's fine outside of people who've been working at it for a long time, right? So fine is the average of the population. The 95th percentile, if you fall into that bucket, you're good. Right, do not be in the, and because when you think about that, I tell people, first of all, if you are an outlier on either end, that's a really big problem. Yeah, and so for sure. Those are the ranges based on the fact that 50% of the population is terribly ill. You either have diabetes or you'll have, you have cancer if you're 50% of the population. So look at you and look at me and we're like, okay, well, at least I've taken the cancer card off the table for you, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, so, but, but that's the places the person sitting next to you either has cancer or diabetes or you do. It's that simple or will in your lifetime. So you don't want to be in their ranges. You want to be an optimal therapeutic disease prevention, health giving ranges. So So we're going to publish your ranges if you're cool with that. Are you okay with that? that. We'll give a little snippet. I'm totally good with that. They'll be, I'll be educating doctors on how to interpret all the data in the future, but to at least see it individually, patients can start to gauge themselves, start to do their own like I'm not normal. So for instance, I want a white blood cell count between five and seven. 
anything lower than that, you don't have an, a functioning immune system. Yeah. And if it's chronically low, you either have, in my experience, heavy metals or some type of a dysbiosis co-infection process. Yep. That's a simple little nugget I'll throw right out there. So if you're like, I'm always below. I just, I just failed the white blood cell count test, by the way. I'm on the air acknowledging that I failed. So I'm, I'm, I'm working with Grace. Exactly. Whipping me into shape. She is. She is the poo detective. And so yes, she is she in is, there finding is. out if this is metals co-infections combination. Yeah, so. we're doing the metals test next. Although the other tests came back pretty good, the functional tests. So the next awesome. one for me is the metals. And nice. so we're working on that. But we'll, so Chem 14, CBC with diff, we will publish your ranges. I never look at those neutrophil percentage I numbers. Know. I Nobody does. Smith those as irrelevant. Well, uh, we've got some gems here from Dr. Nasha. Totally. And let me give you an example, like why it's so important. If you, if your listeners, are we good on, for me to cover this piece? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So NLR, which is a neutrophil lymphocyte ratio, yep. it's known as NLR. If you simply Google or do a PubMed search on NLR and prognosis or NLR and cancer, people with what's called a poor NLR, meaning neutrophils are way too high, lymphocytes are way too low. You want what's them. What's the range? To, well, because these are percentages. That you don't base it on the percentage, you base it on the ratio. So for instance, I want to have two neutrophils to every one lymphocyte or better. Got it. Two to one or better. Right. And you don't want it more than a one to one. So you don't want to have end up getting more lymphocytes than neutrophils. Yeah. Okay. But basically if you're kind of like, let's say you have 60 neutrophils, 60% neutrophils and 40% lymphocytes. That's like a, that's beautiful. Yeah. If you have 72% neutrophils and 17%, you know, lymphocytes, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Okay. Now that, and I don't say that to be harsh. I say that of you got to pay close attention and you got to get on that. You gotta now before anything system. happens. That's why I created Heads Up Health. It's like, okay, exactly. let me go look. And right. okay, right. I right. got Quest Diagnostics. I'm in the normal range for a population of disease, but yeah. clinicians like yourself can say, hey, this is a, this is a, the warning light is on. And yes. conventional yeah. ranges don't pick up the warning lights. They pick up mm -hmm. the transmissions blown and you're right. on the side of the road. Totally. So totally. we, we yeah. might be able to give people, they can log into their Heads Up Health account. Yeah. They can look at, at this ratio right and yeah. test it out. And right. maybe they have those results somewhere else. And the conventional doc not looking at it. Yep. If you can get ahead of something, then do it. Right. right. That's where I'm watching. Like, okay, well then we're going to bring this on board to support it. Great. That wasn't enough in a month or two. Hey, so we are tweaking. Constantly. Yeah. Awesome. You know, and that's just it. So I look at those two, CBC and Chem 14 tell me a load of information. Also with the CBC, people don't know. I actually had a doc consult right before this. She didn't know that you could basically, do, where people spend a fortune on, what is the spectra, spectra cell? I, okay, I'm yeah. going to get upset. I probably shouldn't say this, but I do not like those tests. Yep. Here's a lot of money and a snapshot in time. Okay. For $12, you do a CBC, you know, people's blood B12, B6, magnesium, zinc, selenium status for the most part. I can pretty much guess, like ascertain. Now that's way more than we have time for in this, but I know someone's nutritional status by looking simply at their chem 14 and their CBC with differential. I know if they're absorbing and what they're malabsorbing and what they're missing and what they need to add in before I even do a deeper dive. This so is decades our, of experience that you bring yeah. here. And so, it's, yeah. yeah. I, and then it's funny because then somebody's like, oh, I don't know. Then they go run and the $2,000 test are like, yeah, the $12 test worked just fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's good. And then yeah. the biggies, which my patients have coined the trifecta. 
Yeah. The combination, because right. either of them, any of them in a, well, any of this really in a vacuum is irrelevant information. Completely. Yep. How it all connects. So the C-reactive protein. Yep. Most Good of you one. are now hearing about that puppy. ESR, at, or known, also known as a sedimentation rate, which is basically how fast does, do blood cells fall out of solution? Yep. And if you fall out really fast, well, then you're not too thick and sticky in your blood. And if they fall out too slow, then we got kind of a cesspool on our yep. hands. Okay. Mm -hmm. CRP is of course a marker of inflammation in general. Also alludes to a lot of other, like if CRP is high, you often have things like angiogenesis. You also often have things like cachexia, muscle wasting. You have things like blood sugar imbalance, hormone. Like it's a marker of, it just shows kind of a lot of bad stuff going on and we really downplay its relevance in our world. Well, what's crazy is like, I was talking to my sister about this and she's like, I can't even order these tests in Canada. And I'm like, man, that's tragic. And it's a ridiculous, you know, out of pocket, you know, so this five test I'm telling you about out of pocket, if somebody walked into a lab core or a quest or a walk-in or a direct labs, the CBC with diff, chem 14, the CRP, the sed rate, and the third, fourth, fifth one I'm going to talk about LDH here runs about between where you are in the country, between 105 and $150 a month. No doctor, go online, get it done yourself. Just bypass the freaking deductibles, the copays, and just go get it done. Right. 90% of my patients are running this group of tests monthly to make sure they're head. I tell them, keep running those tests until the trifecta are perfecta. And yeah. then the LDH, that third one, this puppy, we used to run an LDH in our Chem 20 panel regularly, along with an ESR. Well, because of insurance changes and trying to save the almighty dollar, we've cut those two very important tests along with magnesium and along with GGT out of our standard Chem panel, yeah. which is ridiculous, right? GGT, for instance, can show you what's going on with your glutathione levels. So we can yeah. know how you're doing with that. Magnesium, for the love of God, what doesn't it do, right? What test do you <laughs> run for magnesium? Right. Well, I like the RBC. Okay, we're back. So we had a brief cutout there, Doc. My my hard drive ran out of space. Total rookie mistake. I can't. Believe <laughs> that. Man. Yeah. So we were talking about you running those tests with clients mm -hmm. on a monthly basis. The beautiful thing here for us in the U.S. is we can just go online and order them ourselves, yeah. not on option necessarily in other countries, which right. is unfortunate because I'm sure there are people who want to be super proactive and if you go to your your conventional doc saying hey i need these monthly not necessarily an easy argument no. to win no, i'm sure yeah but yeah. you were saying how you use these to calibrate your approaches yeah as you're working with with clients personalize it basically and right. um yeah so that's where we left off yeah so you know if you are someone who is cancering or chronic illnessing, and you are trying to monitor your response to any therapies that you're doing, what you need to be doing is looking under the hood very regularly, more rigorously in the beginning. As things start to calm down and things seem to stabilize, you can start to yeah. spread that out. Yeah. So ultimately, I'm having these folks do the Chem 14, CBC with differential, CRP, SED rate, and LDH every month until the trifecta are perfect in my functional ranges. What and does LDH stand for, Nisha? LDH is lactase dehydrogenase. Yeah, I've seen that one come up a few times, but I, right? I'm not familiar with it. No one is. And it's weird because when I was in medical school, it was part of the standard chem panel. Cool. Along with GGT, ESR, magnesium, phosphorus, those aren't anymore. So yeah. this guy, why this t is such a big deal is it, sometimes it'll say LD on your lab. So it'll either say LDH or LD. And depending on whether it's Quest or lab core, the ranges are different. One of the ranges is like three, 300 to 618, which I think is the quest. And then the lab core range is, I think it's like 
120 to 450 or something like that. It's a lower. different, yeah. Significantly different on both these. So what I tell yeah. folks is on the one that has the lower ranges, you want your number between 140 and 175. Mm-hmm. And on the one that has the bigger ranges, you want it between 350 and 450. Those are the sweet spots. Are they Here, different tests? Is that why you have to look at it differently? They're, they're, a li- they're not different tests. They just are using different, not machines, but the, sta- the, the, the substrate that they're using. So that's they're, why there's two different ranges. Depends on what substrate is used at the lab. That, exactly. that depends exactly. on what range you need to fall in. Exactly. Okay, that's an important and, detail. It's an important one. So I try to qualify because I can look. If, if I see somebody come back and their lab says like 450, you know, I'm like, at first you start to have a heart attack because most of the time the range is going to need to be the one that's on the one under 175. Yep. But every once in a while I'll get a random one, somebody using an old school or a Quest someplace because it's not as used as much in my, in my world as LabCorp. And I'll have to kind of go back and look at the conventional ranges to make sure I'm not missing it. Because yep. if I'm seeing a 450 for somebody who should be under 175, yep. that house is on fire. Yeah. Right. So, so you got to go back and double check into yeah. the into the lab report and see how this was was tested. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a big note to sell for our future work together. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's um, already what I was thinking. Yeah. Exactly. And so with that being said, LDH. When you think about this lactase dehydrogenase, for those of you, I won't go into the chemistry here, but when you think about what are we looking at when we're looking at metabolic processes in the body, when we're looking at a cancering process, we're looking at a process that's gone from. Uh, respiration in the mitochondria to fermentation and fermentation when those mitochondria start to ferment when the metabolic switch turns off that's bad and guess what's the first number to go up LDH so what about somebody who hasn't the switch hasn't happened yet can this be an early warning light LDH very much early warning light but it's always it all and so my husband is so good he says if LDH is on mitochondria are off yeah And so it's bad for cancer, chronic illness, Lyme's disease, you know, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and all those are mitochondrial diseases, right? So LDH should be standard test. It should be thrown back into standards. Yeah, it's like uh, fasting. It's like running an insulin, fasting insulin test for diabetes. It's like, man, we could catch this like a lot earlier if we were looking at that, but we don't do that for diabetes. No, we just say we don't do any further testing until your glucose goes high. Guess what? The majority of people with diabetes have perfect fasting glucose. Yeah. So I, cause I run, so that's, so those bad bases we just talked about, by the way, if you're paying out of pocket, depending where you live in the country, 105 to 150 bucks a month for that group of tests is all you're looking at. That's kind of where we, I wasn't sure if we got cut off there, but that's an investment in your health. Well, well, we're going to put those tests and we'll put the links where people can go, can go. And and if you, if you've already had some recent work done, maybe you have some of these tests, but not all, at least you can cross reference with these ranges and yeah, just amazing stuff here to help people get ahead of things. Right. You can learn so much with those simple things and that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Well, that's why we built Heads Up Health is because like I want people to be able to do this themselves because they're going to hear this and be like, oh man, my doctor's just going to roll his eyes when I (laughs) go ask for this. So I'll do it myself. And I want to have this information over the course of years or decades to see those patterns. And that sadly does not exist in any healthcare system or patient portal or anything. So, yeah, I think it's yeah. awesome the way you bring those up and then the way it fits in with what Heads Up Health does. 
Well, and it's perfect. Like a, a shout out to what you what you've created right now. The amount of time I spend hand entering these lab. I've seen that process. Your team walked me through it, and I'm like, oh face. God. I have a hat on, so I can't face palm, but it was like, yeah, you are you kidding me? <laughs> this is honestly the places. So for, for your listeners to just sit there and think, okay, Nisha spends an average for a new client. I spend an average of five hours per client prepping their chart. Most of that is in entering the data of this and then interpreting it and then typing the data out for you. And yeah. so by the time you get this beautiful plan in front of you, there's already been just hours of behind the scenes work. At some point, this needs to be automated because it's, it, it's where I can only see a certain amount of new clients a month right now. It would easily double, triple, quadruple that with some of what you're creating. Process. So, and, and other clinicians that, that you're training as well, it's like, okay, exactly. here's, here's the service. Just get everything done day one. You should not have to spend more than like. This is why no one wants to train with me. Yeah. Well, they do. They want to until they realize, oh my God, this is a lot of work. Yeah. So if this, like, for, for quote unquote uh, normal human beings, no one would do the amount of prep and time I spend on each of my clients. They yeah. just don't do it. And so it, it's not cost. I'm not paying off my student loans for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh my gosh. And I don't, this is my passion. Do not get me wrong. But wouldn't it be nice if I could spend that time with the patient? Oh my goodness. I mean, you're so, yeah, that is incredible. That needs to happen. I mean, that's part of the work that, that we're collaborating yeah. on. So and that would be entice more practitioners to think and approach their patient's healthcare in this more robust. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need to build. Nisha is like, if we make it easy for the practitioners, your reference ranges are published Here's Here's the early warning lights. Here's the lights where like engine failure. Here's, here's the ranges to look for and just get everybody starting to think this way yeah. or as many people as we can is mm -hmm. a win. I think it's a huge for everybody. Yeah. For the practitioners to not burn out and yeah. actually make a decent living and for the patients to thrive on and on and on and know because the what's so cool the best part of this is i do it a couple times for the patient then the patient knows every like they'll call that where right was we have our visit like well i watched this and this and this happened but i know it was this this and this and i know i stopped taking this and i know that this happened because it was the holidays and i was eating that like they know all the little nuances and all the triggers that made certain lab values shift that's what happened to me I'm like, I started putting it all into an Excel sheet and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I don't need to know what every single test means. I don't study the, neuro, the, the, the underlying biochemistry, but when you can get people like, oh yeah, I saw this number go up and go down. Yeah. That is like, That's cool. exactly and when a patient is that engaged and they're like yeah. looking at the numbers, yeah. it's kind of fun in a nerdy way too, honestly. Wait, I like looking at labs. I love labs. I, seriously. And you know what? It's compelling and yeah. it's motivating and yeah. it can help people get back on track who've gotten off track. Because if someone's like, go out and take these pills and do this diet, how do you really know that it's doing something? Because I've had people say, well, I did everything right and yet my cancer progressed or I did every, well, how did you know you were doing everything? How did you know that what you were doing for you was the right match for you? Yeah. So that data for me is not just about what are your labs doing. It's about how am I doing as a practitioner to best support you? How are you doing and your own personal responsibility at home of knowing how best to support everything we found together? You know, it's, it becomes this powerful relationship yep. that is, to me, probably it's more of, um, I have such this image of um, a cell dividing and how that center where everything's, so it's like, the power is in this this merge 
of what's happening. That's where the medicine is, is in the relationship that's happening between the patient seeing, getting their ahas, the practitioner getting the ahas, and the awareness of what we need to do next to bring on the most optimal life they can have. Honestly, I, I, I don't want to oversimplify this, but like for me, it's all just a numbers game. Disease, yeah. health is just a numbers game. Okay, you have to have your spiritual house in order. We talked about the that. The numbers the will be impacted by that. Exactly. So, so go clean up and get the, get the house in order spiritually, emotionally. But otherwise, it just becomes a numbers game, like you said, constantly adjusting and tweaking. And, and you don't need to be a medical expert to track these numbers yourself. That's what I realized. Yeah. So I completely agree. It's actually like a good segue into um, a, few, a few questions on keto. Sure. And, um, okay, so we're at the Best Answer for Cancer Conference. We're in Orlando. We're with functional oncologists, and you're like, how many of you have tested your ketones? Oh, God, I'm so glad you brought this up. Uh, ketones? I'm yeah. like, what are you, are you kidding me? I know. So, so we have, there were, I think, 350 doctors in the audience. Yeah. We're at a keto cancer conference. These are doctors. I've been going to the same conference for eight years. Yeah. Okay. So I know these guys well, and a lot of them think they're doing ketogenic diet for themselves or with their patients, or they think that they know how to test for how their patients are responding to a raw food, vegan diet or whatever. They, they think they know that, but they're not actually testing. So I literally got up on the podium and Dave saw this. Um, I, I was like, so how many of you here, you know, employ or use the ketogenic diet? And there may be like, 15 to 20 hands of that group that were saying that they really employ it with their patients directly. Then I said, how many of you test for blood ketones? Actually test the blood, measure it in the blood to know what's going on. Two people. And the two people who did it because they're doing it for themselves. I know those doctors. Yeah. I train them. And yeah. how to do it. Yeah. And Oh my gosh. And then it was, it was just incredible. People were not even using the P strips. So then I went into the basics. I'm actually, I kind of gave a very basic, talk on what luckily other people talked earlier than me on what are ketones yada 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 i went into more of the clinical relevance like how do you test for this where do you start start with the urine dip until you start to show some trace or, or moderate and then graduate on to the blood and then test the blood regularly until you're until you're pretty clear on what works and isn't working for you and then test sporadically and if you really want to get highfalutin you can use the breathing uh you know the breathalyzers to really see how nuances in your life impact your ketones so that's when people really get the instant feedback of hey i had the fight with the, with the boyfriend i overworked out i didn't work out i ate you know a cart of a pint of berries um you know or whatever people can get that instant feedback it's sort of like biofeedback when you're doing the breathalyzer is how i kind of look at it but yeah. it was a shock to see the medical providers have no idea well, if you, even if you don't embody the lifestyle as a clinician, you have to like go pretty hardcore keto for like a while on yourself just to yeah. understand how it all works. Right, right. It's like the only way I learned was like testing the, testing the crap out of myself after every meal and exercise. And I'm like, okay, I see how it works. I get it. But you have to go through that process. Yeah. And it was just shocking to me. I and think it's the metrics all over again. It's the numbers game. All over again of how you tweak your macros because you know I my macros I can get away with a heck of a lot more carbs than my husband can and um, you know and I can uh, go in and out of ketosis super easily it's almost like I can 
just like say, no, I'm in ketosis. And then I'm there. And then yeah. I'd be like, no, I'm not. And it's, that's, you know, that's, it's, that is awesome, by the way. It's, yeah. it's like I'm the dual, that dual hybrid engine. Yeah. Um, it, w- it wasn't like that in the beginning. And my husband's like a jalopy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Bless his heart. He'll get there, okay? He's he working is. on it. Yeah. Well, his family, his genetics, he's got a whole collection of things that make it far more challenging for him. Yeah. We just got different you know, handed different, uh, you know, cards to play this lifetime. Um, but ultimately the coolest thing is what you just said. We can still test and know exactly how to tweak it. And then if you're like, well, gosh, this person theoretically should be in deep ketosis. Why aren't they? Then it's where you go. That's where I was saying at the talk, then you dive deeper. Well, what snips, what genetic polymorphisms are in the way? So do they have the SLCC5 gene going on? That's meaning you need a bus to carry the carnitine across the, or to carry the fats, you know, in carnitine across the mitochondrial membrane. I mean, it's it's simple things like that that become obvious. And they're like, oh yeah, I added a gram a day of L-carnitine. Suddenly I've got blood ketones of four. It's a shock to people to see that it could be just like, think. Well, that's why it's so amazing that you're taking what you learn and see and then putting it out there because you can go consume information online and everyone's out there well-intentioned and trying to help you. hundred percent, yeah. But until you're actually looking at it this level, like actual genetic SNPs that are going to affect things. I mean, these are the only thing you will learn this is working with thousands of patients looking at tens of thousands of labs and figuring out, wow, okay, this person's blood ketones aren't going high. The patient is testing. If you're not testing, go get a keto mojo and make sure you, you, you start testing. But yeah. Yeah. then you can start to figure these, these things out. But like even when uh, Dr. Poff spoke and she presented the research and this hand goes up, well, I put my patient on and it didn't work. I know. And, and then we asked the ketones? Him. No. No. Then he wasn't in, and that's what I tell everybody. If you say you did the ketogenic diet or you tried keto and didn't work for you and you were not testing blood, I promise you, you were not in ketosis. I promise you that. And being in ketosis is a whole nother thing than being metabolically flexible. Because what we are striving for, ketosis is a means to get us to metabolic flexibility. It is not the ultimate of just the numbers either. It's got to have the result what are you changing in the whole organism with those numbers? That's the other thing that falls short. So a lot of people, it's kind of like, oh, sexy, I've got a four on my blood ketones, and yet they're not sleeping, and they're under, still in a crappy situation in their workspace, or they, you know, just different things like you're still destructing, destroying the mitochondria. You're just hitting well, it from other angles. It took me many years to develop meta- metabolic flexibility. And it took a lot of trial and error and, and in and out of ketosis. And, and now I'm at the point where I can have a lot of flexibility. I can flip back and forth. And that's taken a long time uh, of personal testing. I test blood sugar in the morning, my fasting glucose every morning. That's probably like my leading indicator of how I'm doing. Nice. And also I test ketones. And now there's also a glucose ketone index, which... I mean, if the clinician is not testing ketones, then to ask them about the, the patient's GKI, forget about it. But that is actually, glucose ketone is, is the ratio of the two numbers, and this was from uh, Dr. Seafried's work. But now it seems to be becoming more ubiquitous across just metabolic um, health in general. So are you having your patients measure, maybe not measure, but even if they just get both numbers, you can look at it. So are you using that number? 
I do. And it's funny because Miriam and I, you know, we're Dr. Seafried and their team, like the POFs group and whatnot. They're, I always say they're the, they're the bench doctors. I'm the bedside doctor, right? So on paper in, you know, clinical studies in cell line studies and animal studies and in very controlled environments with human studies, you can really nail that GKI pretty effortlessly. But in the kind of wild west of the human body, the real world, yeah, the real world. What yeah. what um, both Miriam, who's the expert in uh, ketone, you know, keto for cancer, is her book and her work with thousands and thousands of keto uh, patients with cancer and keto, is that we find that it is sometimes sort of like the uh, like the unicorn. You know, it's sort of like we know it exists, maybe out there, and we know it's obtainable. But some people, it's harder to get to. So I don't let my patients get stressed from it. So I, I look. Yeah. Right. And if I see a GK, like I see that they're doing everything right. And I'm pretty sure that they're doing everything right. It's usually something in their SNPs. Yeah. It's usually something if, if I can't get their, their, um, their stuff to go, sometimes it's hormonal and sometimes mm -hmm. it is, um, like sleep issues. So sleep will impact this lack of sleep and hormonal. I see you health. wearing the aura ring. So just to segue, like, I know, like all my good, if you want to know if you're getting good sleep, yeah. One of those. Yeah. If cool. you're if you're working with a cl clinician like Nasha and you want her to know that you're getting good sleep, easy. Or well, completely. Like I'll get your data yeah. right there. Yeah. And these are the coolest things. Is that yeah? Of course, I'd love to get everyone under a one GKI because sure. that's kind of the therapy. But but sometimes I don't get people there. And the cool thing is, they're still having amazing response. Beautiful. Their scans, yeah. we're seeing their other labs, everything else is lining up. So I watch it, but I don't hang on it. Yeah, that's cool. It's what we that strive for. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, man, we've been going for like an hour and 10 minutes here, and it's just been amazing. Um, <laughs> tell us about your, your, your book, Nisha. So my co-author, Jess Higgins-Kelly, she joined me. She's a, a therapeutic nutritionist who joined my practice, my old brick and mortar practice many years ago and helped co-facilitate a lot of cancer retreats with me. Yep. You know, over time she would do these great little classes on sugar and other stuff during our, during our classes. And she also had an amazing skill set as a writer. She was also an incredible therapeutic nutritionist. She really helped my patients. And we finally, after doing a few retreats back to back, patients started saying, you guys have to get this into a book. There's so much information. You got to well, get what you talked about today it's like man we're gonna capture, we gotta capture <laughs> this and bottle it and put it in the show notes so people that's can exactly. go back and like yeah how do we do this that's exactly that's the next one more clinical relevance yeah so ultimately with that book it was born out of necessity of patients asking for it it was building up on retreat information that we shared at all of our retreats which will yeah. He's starting up again, hopefully later this fall or early next spring. And then she basically took my like download of my brain and wrote it into this beautiful, like we just did this beautiful co, we called each other baby, baby book mamas yeah. to whatever okay. and got this out there into the world, birthed this into the world. And it's really a culmination of 25 years of my experience and 16 years of her experience and putting it out there in a step-by-step -step place of even starting with a questionnaire for you to assess your own terrain to say, okay, out of these 10 patterns, there are 10 questions to each of these 10 patterns. What is the priority for you? What, which one tests the highest for you? Yeah. Maybe you just go right to that chapter and read that chapter. Mm -hmm. And maybe that chapter is what is where you start because some people read the book from front to end. Some people will just read it piece by piece. Yeah. It is a, a, it's a, it's a, Beast. It is not a light, fluffy read. This is a lot. Well, you're not taking on light, fluffy situations as a clinician, so you got to just put no. it out there. 
No, and people would always say, is this written for the doctor, for the patient? And I'm like, yes. Yes. Ultimately, where medicine changes is when we're all sitting at the table together. And we're not separating us out or putting one on a pedestal. And we're actually using a common language that everyone can agree on. Same idea with how we're starting to educate people with their labs. Like we're creating a kind of a common, what you've created is an ability to have a common understanding of fluctuations and perturbations in their physiology and to change course as needed for them in any given moment. That's what Heads Up Health is putting together for people to do. My book might help with that. Other people's books might help with that. You know, these are ways we're trying to get people to think of themselves as not compartmentalized, Mm -hmm. but as a part of a very dynamic whole. And we've, you know, Descartes kind of screwed us over all those years ago to get us super um, reductionistically, uh, you know, broken down into our parts. Well, Um, hopefully we got, we we haven't been reductionist on this episode. Like we've really got to to look at the whole spectrum of things and think about, think about your health that way, actually. You got it. And I know the book has been extremely well received. Oh my gosh, so shockingly so. I really thought it was going to have like, my, I thought my mom, maybe my aunt and uncle. Yeah, whatever. You know, I don't believe it. that. You knew it was going to be a home run. Come on. We honestly, did, honestly, in fact, our publisher is like, what the, do you have another one of these in you? I'm like, I got yeah. a million of these in me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's congrats exciting. on the success with that. And then if people want to find you, how would they find you? Right now they can find me, um, Facebook, the metabolic approach to cancer is a Facebook page. We always give information that's relevant to the book and kind of where we're doing events or talking engagements, speaking engagements. Also optimal terrain consulting is my con- um, consulting gig and also has a Facebook page as well as the, our, the website on that. And right now there's a couple other things coming down the pipeline. So we will add to those down in the future, not so distant future, but those are the ones that are up and running and you can follow me there. You can also find I believe LinkedIn, Instagram, and a couple other places that I have 20 somethings with brains. Yeah, we, we, we tag the crap out of you on all of those social media channels. So we Thank know you're there, Nisha. We, yeah. Good, because I, I don't know how to get me there. So I'm really glad you figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's a pretty good photo you put up of us from a conference in Orlando. Oh, wasn't that good? Yeah, that was yeah, so really good. Fun. It's yeah. such a good one. That was a fun, that was a fun group. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And yeah. just, just to um, plant some seeds here, Nisha's yeah. hubby is also a big brain. So he just basically uh, totally dropped the mic and walked out the door after his CBD presentation. So incredible. And that's another area we'd love to explore. So fascinating about the potentials. Obviously very complimentary to everything we talked about here. We didn't even have time to get into that. So we'll we'll do that another time. But this is amazing, Nisha. I love working with you. I just, yeah, it's just amazing. And thank you for everything you do. And thank you for taking time to share your wisdom with everyone here today. And I hope I see you at Low Carb USA soon. Yes, I will be there. I will as well. All right. I know, it's coming up. Thanks, everybody. This was a joy. Follow this guy. He knows what he's doing. Thanks, Nisha. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 